0: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will not hide your face from us, but that we would know that in the shadow of all things that we face, whether it be our own sin, the wickedness of the world, or other hardships that fall upon us, that you are with us, that you are not a silent God, but you are a God that walks us through all things, and that in you we overcome all things till one day we reside in your kingdom. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I I thought of a story from when I was a kid that kind of captures where we're going and I, Thought of it after my mom arrived. My mom is here. I won't embarrass her by pointing her out, but you'll figure out who she is pretty quickly. And I don't know why it didn't even occur to me that well, my mom will be there on Sunday, and I'm going to tell an embarrassing story about my childhood that where I actually got really mad at my mom. Um, <laughs> but she maybe doesn't remember it, and that's probably just as well. But as as a lot of you know, we grew up sailing, and one time we went to this little island and. Um, or actually I actually think it was a pretty big island and we went ashore in our, our little boat that kind of ferried us between the two And somehow we lost track of time or weren't aware of the tides or something We were usually really good about it, but the tide went way out And for some reason my parents thought it was a good idea for me to go out and get the boat out of the mud I don't even remember like why we thought this was a good idea <laughs> But all I remember is that I sunk Super deep into the mud. I think it was like up to my knees or even deeper and, and it was this awful feeling of getting almost stuck in the mud and then also getting really mad at my parents of, like, why did you tell me to do this? <laughs> I love you, Mom, by the way. <laughs> but sometimes we, can, we face those types of things in our lives, right? You know, this is a funny example of where there's a sense of helplessness, the sense of, like, being overwhelmed by everything around us, in this case, mud, But we can face these things where it it seems as though, in a much more serious, much more dark manner, it seems as though God isn't there. One of my favorite Christian musicians has a song about this called The The Silence of God. And one of the most poetic ways he describes it is he went to a monastery and he saw a statue of Jesus who's who's carved out of granite or something. And and it just feels as though God is like that statue, just unmoving if, you, if it's a cold day and you reach out and you touch him, he's cold, and, and you plead before that statue, and that statue's not going to do anything. And sometimes in our prayers, it feels as though God just just isn't there. And that's where we start this morning with David. He prays, why, oh Lord, do you stand so far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? And I'm pretty sure those words resonate with almost everybody or everybody here? Why do you stand so far away? Now, before we dive into this, we have to kind of understand the relationship between Psalm 9 and 10. And and often this isn't necessary, but but there's three things that are, or one thing that's really interesting about this, in particular, that almost everybody agrees that Psalm 9 and 10 were actually at 1.1 Psalm. And the first reason that people think this is because they were your, your favorite word from last week. They were, they were, if you combine the two psalms together, it's an acrostic psalm that works from Hebrew A to Z, which isn't actually the Hebrew alphabet, but for the sake of our, our conversation, each line starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet all the way through, but, but if you break them apart, it stops about halfway through. I think it's at the M letter of Hebrew. <clears throat> but together, they make that whole alphabet. The second reason that people kind of think that this is the case is because if you look at the ancient Greek translation, they're actually one psalm. And finally, they have a similar theme. They they touch on this idea of what is the Lord doing in the shadow of wickedness? What is the Lord doing in the shadow of hardship and difficulty in the world? And like I said, sometimes maybe I wouldn't even bring this up. But David actually gives us a really helpful instruction for those times where we finally reach those points where we're like, where are you, God? Where are you? What are you doing in this mess? Because what David does in the first, in the Psalm 9, is he writes out all the ways that God has worked in the world. He writes out all kinds of things that the Lord has done, in particular when it comes to justice, how he's been just, how he's judged. And what does this tell us? It tells us that when we face those seasons, or, or even better yet, when you don't face those seasons, reflect on what God has done in your life. First and foremost, starting by your salvation from sin in Christ, and then build out from there. What has he done? How is he sanctifying you? How has he provided for you? How has he done all of these good things in your life? So then when you hit that moment where you echo David's thoughts and you think, Lord, why do you stand so far off? You have a list that reminds you, oh no, the Lord doesn't stand far off. It just seems that way in the here and now. Now, it doesn't mean that what David goes on to ask is a bad question. One of the things that I love so much about the Psalms is they reflect the whole spectrum of human emotion. Last week, we had this exalted high standpoint of praise to the Lord. Look how good the Lord is. And then this week, we start with this lament. Oh, Lord, why do you stand so far off? My mom asked me last night. I don't think this is an embarrassing story, so I think we're good. Last night, like, what is your favorite psalm? And I actually really don't like answering what is your favorite blank questions. Except for food, it's macaroni and cheese, if you need to know. (laughs) But... But I don't, I don't love, like, well, what is your favorite book of the Bible? What is your favorite verse? That, that kind of question, because I think there's so much and such a wide range that we need it to all speak to us to form who we are in Christ. But I, I really like Psalm 137. And, and if you turn there and you read the whole thing, you're going to think I'm, I'm wild. But it's this deep song of, song of lament. It's this really beautiful song, but it ends with the deep violence. And I don't like it because of the deep violence. I like it because it reminds us that even when we're so angry that we boil up all of a sudden, we can offer that anger before God in prayer and say, Lord, I want terrible things to happen. Help me. Now, of course, the ending of the psalm as Christians, we've been saved out of these things. And so we need to recognize in that case, in the case of 137, that we need to pray for God's grace in our hearts that we might have mercy towards those people that we're angry with. But in a very real way, it lets us to start in that place of, "I'm really mad," and so so part of the beauty of the psalter, and I'm, I'm getting a little off track, is that it gives us permission to offer all of these sentiments before the Lord, and that's that's really beautiful. Now the psalm goes on. David describes what the wicked are doing, and there's there's three ways we can really read this, and the first, I think you might find at first the most challenging, but I think it's also the most important. As we read the descriptions of the wicked, it gives us an opportunity for self-reflection. When you hear these biblical descriptions of sins, we have the option of either being like the Pharisee in the temple or, the, or, or in the temple court or the publican. Do we go in before the Lord like the Pharisee and say, thank you, Lord, for making me super-duper awesome, or do we go before the Lord like the publican or the tax collector and say, Woe is me. Help me to repent. So when we read these descriptions of the wicked, a good place to start is to ask, is, am I falling into that? Verse 3 talks about how the wicked person becomes so self-centered that the universe revolves around them. Sounds like me sometimes and then the next verse in the verse 6 goes on to describe that they think that they have everything that they need so why bother with God we can fall into both of these camps on accident we can start to think that well the universe revolves around me therefore I'm the greatest and I don't even need to think about God because well if God is there then he needs to be the center of the universe and I don't want to do with that and we can fall into this, this idea that I have everything that I need, therefore I don't need God. So it's worth slowing down and asking, is that me? <clears throat> and if now you, you are overwhelmed that I've, I've hurt your feelings or something, sorry if I hurt your feelings, I don't think I could have done anything there, but if you're thinking like, oh man, this is heavy, I, I do think maybe I'm the self, the center of the universe. It's okay, there's hope. It's not the ending of the story. It's the beginning of the story. You have the option, the the chance now to turn and repent and turn to Jesus. Pray that he would reform your heart. Pray that he would become the center not only of the universe, but of your heart. That's the good news, that we come together week in and week out to celebrate that we aren't the center of the universe, but that we have a good and creative God who is. Now, there's the next way that you can read it is, you know, for me, one of the, the hard things to read about are, are those prosperity gospels, right? They pop up every few years, one of them, or prosperity preachers, rather, and, and one of them gets this fanciful idea in their head, I need a Learjet, and my congregation's going to give it to me. And I, I look at them as a, as a pastor and priest of a small congregation, and I, I'm like, how, how are they even there? Who's listening to them? What, why are they listening? And I, I don't understand how God can allow them to continue. For you, it might be like a coworker from your past who said something terrible about you. It might be a neighbor who wander, wanders around and gossips about you. You, you. you know, you you probably can think of people who have hurt you, and you wonder why why is this allowed to happen? And again, this is probably more exactly what David is talking about here, <clears throat> and and about this idea, and and he gives us therefore permission to offer to God, like, help me in this situation, make this situation right. But again, as Christians, our perspective changes a little bit. We don't just end with, judge this person. That's, That's not the ending for us. But rather, the ending is that we pray that that person whether it be the prosperity preacher or the person that's gossiping and slandering about you or, or anyone else, would repent of their ways, would be stopped in doing the wickedness that they do, but also that they would come to fall before the throne of God, fall before the cross of Christ and repent fully, that they would know the same mercy that you and I enjoy. Finally, this past week, we were reading Matthew 10, um, on, on Wednesday night an even song. and evensong and there 's this passage about he starts Jesus starts with, with almost a really dark sounding thing he says to them i 'm sending you out to his disciples and, and therefore to us as sheep in the midst of wolves there 's no doubt that we will experience wolves in our lives there 's no doubt that we will experience those people that want our destruction, but we are sent out not equipped." with large armaments. We're not sent out in armies to to rule over the world. We're sent out with the word of God. We're sent out with a good shepherd that has the best thing in mind, the thing that will build his kingdom, that will bring us into his presence. And so we go out, not as wolves, but as innocent sheep under a good shepherd. And in that state of vulnerability, in that state of trusting in Christ, we may very well see things that that frighten us, that blow our minds, that make us want to pray as David prays this morning. Why does this persist in the world? And then we also pray, "Come, Lord Jesus, come." We live in an area because it's beautiful and wooded and all of that where, where forest fires are reality. And I've used this, this analogy before, so forgive me if you're tired of this analogy. But one of the really most, most interesting things as somebody who's moved here in the last five years is the big signs that say, don't, don't drag your chains. So in other words, if you're tra- towing a trailer, don't drag the chains. And we've, we've even seen the reality of what happens when you drag your chains. They hit the ground and they make this little spark. And you might think, well, that's not enough to cause any damage, right? Just a little spark. And yet that spark can hit a blade of grass, catch fire, and a whole field can burn up in in minutes. And sin is a lot like that. That's what David goes on to describe. If we let sin unchecked in our hearts, it's like that spark that hits the blade of grass and the field burns down in just a minute. David tells us, of what they're doing and how, how perverse they've gotten, but this can also help it to happen to us. And so, if you give sin, sin even just the slightest harbor in your, in your life, our reminder is to repent, to flee unto Christ, to let Him free you, to let Him reform your hearts and your minds. A long time ago, after I'd been Anglican for a while and been a clergyman for a, a little while, I realized something interesting had happened. I was in a much higher church, and, and, and something in my mind sort of popped where I just forgot how to pray. The, the prayer book gives us an amazing resource, right? Even just the Psalter in the prayer book gives us an amazing resource. Like I mentioned at the beginning, if you, if you don't have the words, for whatever it is that you're feeling, you can probably find a psalm that helps summarize those things and, and give you words to pray. But God delights not only in written prayers, but also in, in extemporaneous prayers that you just offer up to the Lord, which is what I hope that we've modeled here, where where we do pray extemporaneous, but we also draw in the prayer book prayers. It's not an either or. I remember a long time ago, somebody once asked me, well, which is more important? Neither is more important. They're both wonderful and beautiful. The prayer book prayers teach us how to pray, give us good words. The Psalms teach us how to pray and give us good words. But God also loves it when you just pray what's in your heart and offer it up to him, whether it's as a conversation or more formally. Which brings us to kind of the turning point in the Psalm. David writes, Arise, O Lord. And we can just say that very pleasantly, right? Arise, O Lord. And that sounds lovely. But we miss what David does here. I really think they missed a great opportunity for an exclamation point in here. Or if, if you're, you're texting or writing an email, about, I don't know how many of you know this etiquette, but if you do all capitals, you're yelling. If like we could write, and all capitals arise, right? David isn't just like, Hey, I'd like it if you arise, but I know you're busy. I know you're like the sovereign God of the universe. No, he's, arise, oh Lord. He's yelling, he's pleading. He's demanding that God arises. I wonder, do you pray with this boldness before God? Do you even know that you can pray with this boldness before God? That David's prayer of arise, arise is perfectly acceptable and even desirous to our Lord? Because right there, David shows the Lord his heart. What if you prayed against your sin with this boldness? Would that change your fight to mortify your flesh? What if you prayed for your non-Christian friends with this boldness? What if you prayed for those who had harmed you or want to do you harm with this boldness. My friends, you are in Christ. He is the great high priest who allows us to do this, to offer our honest and bold prayers before the Lord. Now I want to point out something interesting here. David prays that, that in, in the ESV, he says, break the arms of the wicked and evildoer. you are like, whoa, David. Take a deep breath here, my friend. But he's not, I mean, maybe he's partially praying that their arms would break, but here you see the poetic, poetic nature of the Psalms really come rolling out. And what he's praying is that their power would be broken. And this is actually a really good prayer, whether it's the fact that you're struggling with sins, whether you're in fact you're struggling with your enemies. You're not praying that they would be injured in some deeply mortal way but that whatever is capturing you, whatever fear is capturing you, that power would be broken. And my friends, that's a good prayer. It's a good prayer to pray that that would be broken. Now, I don't want to diminish that feeling of the silence of God. That's a very real feeling that many of us have faced at times or maybe will face at some time down the road. It's painful and hard, but I want to give you some hope. If you came here trusting in Christ or not trusting in Christ, following him or not knowing him, and you feel this sense of of God is far from me, know that if you are in Christ, Christ is your very present help. In times of trouble, no matter what those times our trouble are, know that the author of the book of Hebrews spends most of his, his, his time in the, in the New Testament defining who Christ is. One of the roles that Christ takes is that of a great high priest. In other words, you have an advocate at the right hand of the Father who takes your prayers and sets them before the Father as incense, that the Father smells them and delights in them. That he hears them because Christ is your great high priest. You need no intermediary to pray to God. If you are in Christ and you feel that he's silent today, I want to encourage you to take heart. As we gather together, Christ has told us when two or three are gathered, so if if a, a tenth of us were here, Christ would be here with you. I don't diminish your feelings and I am sorry for your heartache, but take heart and know that he is here. As David ends this psalm, <clears throat> he reminds us that God is God, that God has power over all things. I don't know why our... our translation went the way it did when we prayed it. But he talks about in in the ESV how God has even crushed nations. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his hand. I I want you to think about that. Think about what David is saying here. Throughout the history of man, we know that nations, nations as powerful as our nation have fallen. And it's because of God's hand that that happens. Entire armies, massive infrastructures, maybe made out of stone or something else, but entire infrastructures, entire bureaucracies, and governments have fallen. Often we think of governments as being this big, powerful thing. And if we imagine a powerful government and the force behind it that must cause it to fall... That's God. So if you think that God is small, rethink it. Rather, He is strong, and yet He is your very present help. So take heart, my dear friends. Do not lose heart. When God feels silent, He is still present. He is not far but in Christ. He is your high priest. He hears your prayers. He loves for you. He cares for you. And he is strong enough to bring you into his kingdom. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.